I told you last week I'm going to preach about the gospel. And, and if you know me, you know I have a passion for the gospel. But part of my big part of my passion for the gospel is because there's gospel and there's gospel and there's gospel and there's gospel that aren't the gospel. And there's people running around this world thinking that they have a relationship with Jesus that are going to stand before him on that day, and he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to be like, no, 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 no. Remember the guy in the park? He told me this gospel, and I prayed with him. Remember the pastor asked me if I wanted to get right with God? And I raised my hand. I'm good. And he's like, well, no, you're not. And that's why I'm so passionate about the gospel. I'll give it to you factually. You'll hear it. I don't move an inch, not a half an inch, not a thousandth of an inch. I talked to a guy who is pretty giant in the kingdom. You know, lots of you would say, whoa. I said to him, preach the gospel to me. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, preach the gospel to me. Because I'll be surprised if you can. And guess what? He didn't. He probably could have, but if he did, it would have been by accident. Not because he understood the gospel. So, so, so when I give you that message... I always give people like this, I dare you knock it off my shoulder, but it's not that. It's because if, if you don't give the gospel that's the gospel, then you're to be accursed, and that person can't get saved by a gospel that's not the gospel. So last night we're in the room at the hospital. My heart is so full of joy. I saw my brother Keith. He, he looked like Keith. He's awesome. I saw Patty. I've been watching the grace of God on Patty. It's been just beyond belief. Patty is Keith's wife. Um, Keith is an elder in this church. We are, I don't know, 13 years old church. Keith has been an elder since day one. Just, I mean, he is a salt of the earth kind of guy. Anyway, I'm having these thoughts. It's like my heart was so melty and my sermon was so, come on, you want to argue the gospel? I'm not wanting to argue with you. I love you so much, but your gospel has to be his gospel. And it's like, I just don't have it in me. I, not that I'm trying to do it, but I know that I would, but I know that I can't. Because my heart is so, I don't know what the word is. So I told Therese, I'm, I'm not going to teach on the gospel tomorrow. What are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll just say, let's talk about grace, or for God so loved the world, or let's talk about, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured. The, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I, I will just not have that. And then we get home, you know, we're there for a while. I, I get in bed and I'm talking to the Lord and I feel like I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to preach on the gospel. Like, well, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I don't know. I mean, I just didn't have it, you know? And I get up this morning, set the alarm for 5.30. Usually I wake up between 4 and 5 no matter what, but I actually woke up by the alarm this morning. And uh, I sat down and I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, I said the gospel, and he started talking to me. And, and I'm so excited because this is, I mean, I'm about context too. I'm sorry, you, 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 I'm talking all this stuff, but, but I think the gospel requires context. It requires some understanding of Jesus and, and all this stuff. And the Lord just loaded me up. And it's not from the normal, you know, you got to get the gospel right. It's, it's different. So I'm, I'm just so happy to share what God gave me this morning. The first three verses, and, and it, you know, you, you don't know me, but 
I just only preach from the scriptures. I don't have any gift to just, you know, say a story in the Bible and then talk for an hour about it. I just only can talk from the scriptures. And I'm happy about that because that seems pretty safe to me. But there's three scriptures that I had at the beginning that are still at the beginning. The rest is going to have to start next week. So here we go. First thing we ought to do when we talk about the gospel is define the gospel. But there's nothing in the scriptures that necessarily says this is the gospel. So you're kind of um, have to piece it together from what the scriptures say. So I, I pick these three scriptures to to try to use as just a foundational definition we can use as as we as we really try to learn about the gospel. Excuse me, I, I didn't even eat any cookies and I'm burping. Romans chapter one, verses sixteen and seventeen. The Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Sorry. You're starting to get a little bit like Leary. Amen. It's, It's in there. Thanks. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, now if, if, there's, if you're not Jewish, in this context, you're Greek. It's to the nations. It's to the ethnos. It's to anybody that's not a Jew. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the first thing the gospel is, it's the power of God unto salvation. So when a person hears the gospel, what they're hearing has the power, should they choose, to restore them, reconcile them to eternal relationship with God. It's the power of God unto salvation. But it's conditional. It's to everyone who believes it's, it's not for someone who doesn't believe. The gospel has no power to save a person who chooses not to believe. Now, we, in the subsequent weeks from now, we'll talk about what believe means in the saving gospel sense. But it's conditional in, in that it, it, it's fulfilled, it, it's applied. It's like I got a headache. Teresa says, well, take these ibuprofen, and, and the ibuprofen will make my headache go away. And an hour later, she says, how's your headache? I'm like, it's killing me. She's like, well, did you take the ibuprofen? I say, no. The ibuprofen sitting on the table next to me isn't going to help my headache. The gospel that's not responded to will not save your soul. It's the gospel that's responded to. The gospel provides the righteousness of God. See, mankind's issue with God is righteousness. God is absolutely righteous. Man is absolutely unrighteous. There's a gap. I mean, it's an infinite gap, I think. Man cannot be made right with God because of self-righteousness. I've told you the story about the gentleman I shared the gospel with, and he said, I'll be good. I said, what do you mean? He said, when I stand before God, I'm a good guy. And he starts telling me, his good works, people he's helped, and this and this. I said, man, it's all wonderful. But, but the righteousness that you lack is the very righteousness of God himself. And you won't be okay. I'm, I, I'm not saying you're not a way more righteous guy than me, 
but you don't possess the righteousness of God. If you go before God and, and the righteousness that you offer him is your own righteousness, you're going to be like the guys in Matthew chapter 7. On that day, many will come to me. And then they'll read their resume of righteousness. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you doers of iniquity. I never knew you. Because your righteousness is on its best day is like menstrual rags back in the old times. That's what the Bible says. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. So mankind's problem with God is righteousness. God is righteous. No man is righteous. So there's a righteousness that comes to a man by faith in Jesus Christ. And at the moment that a person believes, I'll explain that to you, he has the very righteousness of God himself, not in anything he did himself, not in anything he didn't do himself, but because God has now imputed to him the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God through faith. It's, it's, it's a righteousness that's equal to God. And, and sometimes people can't receive it because they say, well, you don't know what I did, or even yesterday I did. It's like it doesn't matter what you did or what you do. Your righteousness in yourself, in your own works, will never meet the standard. So God imputed his righteousness to you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's Romans 1, 16 and 17. The second scripture is this one, and I don't have any little notes under it. 521, 2 Corinthians 521. It's the, it's the process sort of of how all this can work. He, God, the Father, made him Jesus. There's he's and him's in here. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. An important piece to understand about the gospel is that that unrighteousness, that sin, that injustice had to be dealt with. And the only way it could be dealt with was the sacrifice of a perfect and spotless man. That perfect and spotless man is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll explain more about that to you in a, in a coming week. But the point is, he, God, made him, Jesus, who was perfect and spotless, never sinned, to be sin on our behalf so that in that perfect and spotless Jesus, we could then become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And then finally, uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. For God so loved the world. What's the world? world? world tries to crawl up underneath my skin sometimes, like, you know, the people in the world. Gosh, even the people in the church do sometimes. Not, not, not any of you, though. Um, the world wants me to be its buddy. It wants me to participate with it. It lures me into its evil and its way of thinking and its, its perspective. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Let me stop a second. When that world gets up underneath your skin, or, or that man is walking down the street holding hands with another man, or somebody, your neighbor, you know, who knows what, cuts your grass and he's not supposed to, or dog poops in your yard, or whatever it might be. Jesus didn't come that, that that person might be judged for that offense. Jesus came that that person might be saved despite that offense. That needs to be our attitude too, right? 
the the guy holding hands with another guy. I, I don't particularly care for it. I mean, it just it just icky to me. But I'm sent as he's sent, so I need to love that guy. And if, if I do such a good job of loving that guy, now this is Steve White talking a little bit, then that guy is going to have give me maybe an opportunity to share Jesus with him. And I'll tell you what, the last thing I'm going to talk about is that he's holding hands with another boy. I'm going to talk about that he needs Jesus. He can pick whatever reason why he wants. But if he chooses Jesus, guess what? He's going to move in, and then he's going to start changing that guy from the inside out. And I don't have to talk to him about that because Jesus will just transform him. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. That's an important point. We need to understand the world isn't standing in limbo waiting, right? God's on this side. Satan, evil, hell is on this side, and there's this fence. And somehow God has, um, has a man, or there's a man standing on the fence, and, and Jesus says, hey, you know, welcome to my kingdom. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa I haven't decided that yet. And, and Satan says, well, then welcome to mine. He's like, no, 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 I haven't decided that yet. And Satan says to him, yes, you have. He says, why do you say that? He said, because I own the fence. See, if you're on the fence, you're on that side of the fence. You're only on this side of the fence if you're on this side of the fence. The whole world that hasn't placed their trust in Jesus Christ is on that side of the fence. They're already judged. I was already judged. Daniel, you were already judged. Margie, Jacob, I'm still watching you. <laughs> Just for those that don't know, that's my daughter sitting next to him. <laughs> the point is, Jesus didn't come to judge them. He didn't have to. It wasn't his mission. They're already judged. Outside of Jesus, they're already judged. He came that they might have life and not judgment. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And, and when you share the gospel with somebody and you talk to somebody about Jesus, or, or you are the world. Patrice and I were the world. We lived on Lake Shannon. We, we had boats, and we'd go out on the weekends. They'd call, hey, what, what are you doing this afternoon? Hey, we'll meet you out at the islands. And you never went out to the islands without a case of beer or whatever your favorite cocktail was. And then we got born again. And they'd call us, and we'd meet them out there. And I'm not telling you, we quit having a beer because, you know, some preacher told us we couldn't. We just didn't want to anymore. But we still went out to the island. But we were light now in the darkness. And, and then it didn't take very long before no one ever called because the light makes the darkness uncomfortable. We never ever, I mean, we love all them, all them, my good English, all those people like we always did. We just didn't have a heart to live. It just changed. Things changed. But the darkness, it's not comfortable in the light. So pretty soon, and I think they still loved us, but we didn't get any phone calls anymore. That's what happens because the darkness hates the light. And, in, and until God draws a man to Jesus, he can't even have a concept of all that. So, so that's my loose definition of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And, and the understanding that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, essentially to bear the eternal wrath of God on our behalf, to offer himself as a perfect and sinless sacrifice, though tested and tried in every way that every man would, yet without sin, 
He loved the world. He didn't come to judge the world. I saw you smoking a cigarette behind the garage. He came that, listen, if you wanted to tell a lie, you can repent from that, and, and, and you can have eternal life. My Father wants you back with him. Jesus came. He came because of love. What was the motivation? Love. Love was the motivation. Amen? Okay. Now the this morning part. Oftentimes when, when you hear somebody share the gospel or when, when you have a conversation with somebody about the gospel, you want them to respond. You want them to say, okay, so we have this conversation about if you were to die today, like right now, would you go to heaven or hell? They're like, well, I think I'd go to heaven. Is it warm? Want me to turn a fan on? No? Yeah? We could turn fans on just those things. Yeah. Hey, t- um, somebody with the clicky deal, just turn fan only. No no heat, please. Fan only. Yeah. And, um, you know, do you, want to, you don't want to go to hell, do you? No. Well, you better, you better receive Jesus. Well, tell me about hell. Oh, okay, I'll receive Jesus. And it becomes this conversation about heaven or hell. Do you want to go to heaven? It's awful nice in heaven, you know. Or do you want to go to hell? Well, nobody wants to go to hell. That's just a dumb thing. If they had any understanding of hell, they wouldn't want to go there. They'd want to go to heaven. But, but the conversation of the gospel, going to heaven and hell is part of it. It really is. I mean, it's legitimate. The Bible speaks in those terms, but it's about that much. It's about that much. Let me, let me explain to you, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. I'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, I'm comfortable that I'm giving you these scriptures, and they mean what I'm telling you they say, but if I gave you the context of all around the scriptures, you'd probably be in line for dinner, not lunch. So if you want to talk to me about them, I'm happy. If you want to look them up yourself, I think that would be great. We'll start here with um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. It's an interesting thing. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I thought it was for those that prayed a prayer. I thought it was those that lived a perfect life. I thought it, I thought, I thought, no, no, no. It says right there that these things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not even entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So is the answer to the gospel, love God. In a sense it is, but it's more. John 14, 1 through 3, kind of give us a, maybe a little sense of what has God prepared? It's like, what has God prepared for us? Well, my eye hasn't seen it, my ear hasn't heard it, my heart can't imagine it, but the scripture can give me a glimpse. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Interestingly, today, today is the five-year anniversary of our son Joe's death. Joe died five years ago. You all know that story. It's not part of the sermon. I don't know what God's prepared, but I know before Joe got there, there was a place prepared for him. It wasn't prepared like, 
okay, you know, um, I need volunteers for the place preparation team in heaven to come and, and, you know, prepare a nice place for the people when they come to be with Jesus. No, no, Jesus himself said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to come back and get you. But when I come to get you, I've already prepared a place for you. So what has he prepared that my eye hasn't seen and my ear hasn't heard and my heart can't quite conceive? I don't know the magnitude of it, but I know one thing. There's going to be a place, and it's going to be prepared for me, and it's going to be prepared for me by Jesus himself. You know why? Because I love him. James chapter 1 and verse 12. You'll start to see a pattern here. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now it's getting a little more specific, right? The crown of life is an eternal crown. When you run the race of faith and you finish in faith, when you endure unto the end that you might be saved, you receive the crown of life. You can read about the crown of life in the letters uh, to the churches at, at the beginning of the book of Revelation if you want to read some more. But that crown of life is reserved for those who love Jesus. James chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So you have this first promise to those who love him, which I would recite to you, but I forgot, and I'm not going to scroll back. Then you got this second promise that's attached to the eternal crown of life for those who love him. Then you have this third statement that the heir of the kingdom, the kingdom is given to those who love him. Now, you could say it's for those who go to heaven and not to hell, and, and you'd, be, you'd be right, but it's way more than that. There's something being established here that we need to understand if we're going to rightly understand the gospel and rightly project the gospel to people. Let me just read to you what, what, what I put down. I think it is from the Lord. The gospel is about more than heaven and hell, though it is about heaven and hell. Think of heaven and hell as relationship heaven, no relationship hell. Think of, of, of the gospel and those who love them in the sense of, I want you, God, or I don't want you, God. Somebody could respond to the question about hell, but they don't want anything to do with God. They, they want to just don't go to hell. And, and when you start talking to them about being a disciple, they're like, I had that conversation with a guy. Maybe he is a Christian. I don't know, but he's living with a woman that's not his, life, his wife as if she was his wife. And I talked to him about it, and I showed him the scriptures. He kept telling me, no, no, God's grace. No, no, God's grace. I'm like, no, no. There's no grace for that. There, I mean, there is, but there's no license for sin. And at, at the end of that, near the end of that conversation, he said, well, then maybe I don't want to serve that God. And you know what the answer to that question is? You don't have to. But you need to understand the consequences of if you don't love God. Think of the gospel in terms of you don't have me. God's speaking. You don't have me, but I want you. Do you want me? Think about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. There was one rule. Don't eat from this tree. If you eat from this tree, you will surely die. 
Well, what was that about? It's like, well, God just only wanted to reserve the best fruit for himself. No, God wants the best for everybody. But the relationship that's established between God and Adam and Eve is a love relationship. But you can't express love unless you can express choice. You have to choose. I see you got your arm around her. You chose to love her, you know? I chose to love Teresa. Why in the world she did it, I don't know, but she chose to love me. And she still does. Thank God. The point is, every time Adam and Eve walked past that tree that God said, you can't eat from that tree, it was about love. When they walked by and didn't eat, whether they understood it or not, they were saying, God, I love you. But the time that they stopped and listened to the voice that wasn't God and took the fruit from that tree and ate it, they said, God, we'll decide for ourselves. And now they expressed no love for God. Every time, pick the worldly thing that, that tries to entice you and you say no, guess what you're saying? I love you, God. Should our response be, I don't want hell? Does God want eternity filled with people whose perspective is, I don't want hell? No. I can't even believe this is coming out of my mouth, but God wants lovers. God wants relationship for those who love him. That's what he wants. He sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why? For love, because he loved them. The gospel is the means by which people that hated God can repent or change their mind and enter into an eternal love relationship with him. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How about that? He didn't say, okay, listen, let's work us a little pre-deal here. I will send my son to die for you if you promise to do this. No, no, no. no. Well, we didn't make any promise at all. While we were living our lives how we wanted to live our lives, while we were king of our little kingdom, do what I want. I don't want somebody else making decisions for me. I heard that one. Okay. Because you got to choose. The guy that was living with the lady. He's got to choose. Does he love Jesus? He says, I do. I love him with all my heart. I'm like, no, you don't. Because he's, a, he's associating emotion as the only thing that discerns love with God. There is emotion in love with God. But you express love to God, how he says. While we were yet... Re- if you, if, these are harsh words, but before I received, before I responded to the gospel, I hated God. I hated him. So did you. I was rebellious towards God. I didn't care what he said. I cared what I said. People would say, well, God doesn't want you to do that. I'm like, who, what do I care about that? I want to do what I want to do. I'm a good guy. I'll be okay. I'm not looking at you, by the way. I just I can't look at anybody when I say the hard stuff because I feel <laughs> like they're like, why is he looking at me? Well, we hated him. Jesus died. key word here is demonstrates. God demonstrates his love towards us in the death of Christ. So, so then what happened at the cross? 
A sacrifice was made to be sure. I'm going to talk about that in the coming weeks. I'm going to explain to you what that sacrifice meant and why it had to happen. But here's what else happened. God demonstrated his love for us at that cross. When the second person of the Godhead, the man, Jesus Christ, never ceasing to be God, but the man, Jesus Christ, offered himself to God as a sacrifice, God had to see his son, and it pleased him to see his son because of love. He demonstrated his love for us at that cross. Is our response going to be, great, I don't have to go to hell? It probably can be. I mean, I think it could be. I don't know how it could stay that way if you truly came into relationship with God. But I think it could be, but that much. All that said, if God loving us then, he demonstrated. And I'm not an English guy, so you'll have to forgive me if I don't get this perfect. But if God is loving us as a verb more than a noun, action more than an emotion, but certainly not void of emotion, then how do we express love toward him? How do I love him back? Wow, God, God, you loved me so much that you sent your son. How could you watch your son be spat upon by your actual creation? How could you watch your son have a beard jerked out of his face, people wagging their fingers at him, beating him, ripping the meat off his back to where you could see his guts, watching him drag that cross on his shoulder, then stretching him out and sticking spikes, cursed as anyone who hangs from a tree. God, how did you watch that? Jesus, how did you endure that? Love. Love. So then, if love was a verb, if love was a cross, if love was a cat of nine tails, if love was denying every temptation, if love was allowing yourself to be spat upon, if love was allowing yourself to be ridiculed and mocked, if love was coming down off the throne of heaven and seeing it nothing, thinking it nothing to have what God has, walking away from all of that, that you might take on flesh and that you might die, even death on a cross? Love is not a noun, it's a verb. I promise you there's emotion in love. But emotion by itself towards God is not love. If that's true, then what is? I'll tell you. John chapter 14, verse 21 through 24. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, What then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 21 again. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. The person that loves Jesus has and keeps Jesus' commandments. How do you express love towards God? You keep his commandments. That's, that's the answer to that question. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in First John. 
If you don't keep his commandments, Jesus said, you don't love me. No, no, I love you. <laughs> Ashley, bless her heart with all of the junk that she brought with her from Ukraine. I love Jesus, Daddy. I said, no, honey, you don't. Yes, I do. We got in an argument. I said, no, you don't. But she's telling me in this conversation all this stuff that she's going to, she's just, just declaring to me what she's going to do. I'm going to the club, and I'm dressing how I want. I'm staying out as late as I want, and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, by the way, I love Jesus. I said, well, honey, you don't love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you don't go to the club. You don't dress like that. You don't disrespect me. It's like you, you can think you love Jesus. You have an emotional affection for Jesus, but Jesus isn't receiving an ounce of love from your disobedience. He receives love and obedience. <laughs> He who loves Jesus will be loved by his, Jesus' Father, and Jesus will love him and will disclose himself to them. That was an aha moment for me this morning. That's intimacy. See, my wife has been hurt a lot. I mean, some of it I don't even think it's legit, like, but the devil gets in your head and you, you perceive an offense or whatever, and that heart of hers, she's careful with it. You don't get to just know all of her intimate stuff. Just because. You get to know her intimate, the stuff that you could hurt her with when you've developed a love, trust relationship with her. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you love me, I mean, you really love me, I want to disclose myself to you. I want to make my abode with you. I'm going to come live with you, and I'm going to disclose myself to you. See, that speaks to loving relationship. Oh, Lord, disclose yourself to me. I want to know you more. Okay, love me, love, love, love. It's a love relationship that he wants to establish. If then how we love God is to keep his commandments, where do we start? Like there's lots of commandments in the Bible, right? First one, buy your pastor a Cadillac. Second one, set him up a retirement fund. Third one, I don't know, probably something nice for me. It's not any of that. (laughs) Where do we start? All the commandments in the Bible. Do this, don't do that. If you do this, you don't inherit the, con- the kingdom. If you don't do that, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's all legitimate stuff. It's real. It's good. But this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. You, he, he, we love him by obeying his commandments. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So now he's expanded it even some more. He's talking about not just loving one another. He, he's not talking just about disclosing to one another. But now he's talking about friendship. But the terms are the same. If you obey me, then I'm going to call you friend. And it's so beautiful because Jesus says... If you love me, you'll obey me. Here's how I want you to love me. Love each other. How do I express love to Jesus? I love Margie. How do I express love to Jesus? I love Daniel. I love Jessica. I love the guy who isn't all that lovely to me. And Jesus is just sitting up there feeling this wonderful love coming from me. Because, see, he's not saying, you know, here's how you do it with loving me, like buy me a Cadillac or this or this or this. He's saying, you know what, if you really, really want to demonstrate your love for me, love each other. And then he said, do it the way I did it for you. I loved you. You love each other the way I loved you. 
How did Jesus love us? At the cross. Living a perfect and sinless life so that he could be available to us as a savior. Getting his meat ripped off his back. All 11-11. Shabbat. Um, His love was sacrificial. He wants us to love each other how he loved us. So, So an emotional love is wonderful, but a sacrificial love is the love that we're called to. kind of sheds an interesting light on like when I when I'm done with the gospel I'm going to teach you about discipleship and, and one of the powerful discipleship scriptures is deny yourself take up your cross and follow me in, in, in the light of love others the way I loved you take up your cross deny yourself and follow me comes into a little different light doesn't it it feels to me like he's saying listen you got to love one another how will they know that we're his disciples the Bible says by our love for one another. What if it just looks like their love for one another? How are they going to know? It needs to look like his love for us. How do we do that? We deny ourselves. There's no selfishness in love. Oh, my gosh, I could tell you some testimonies just like from the last 12 hours. Okay. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I know that because the scripture says it explicitly then if that's true, then what is salvation? Salvation, a sense, the way a person avoids the recompense for their sin, which is the eternal wrath of God. What is salvation? It's allowing your wrath to be placed on Jesus so that your wrath isn't placed on you. If you choose not God, you go to hell, and guess what you experience for all of eternity? The wrath of God. You'll see that in the coming. That one was in the sermon that I ain't preaching this morning. But salvation is also the opportunity to be reconciled to a love relationship with God. What's our part to walk out this love relationship with God? To obey his commands. And especially and primarily to love one another in a sacrificial way. I should have thought more about this part. I'm almost done. So, so finally, all that. Keith Engberg. We went to the hospital yesterday. We saw Keith. I, I, I've got. To, I've been like literally. What do you call it? A freeloader? Um, what's a person who lives in somebody else? A squatter. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. I have been, I've been squatting in his house since, I don't know, October or November, something like that. I mean, somebody was talking today about camo. They wore camo because they love Keith. And it's like, I know. You might wonder, but I know. He sleeps in camo jammies. <laughs> He's, he's the camo guy. He's camo. For God so loved Keith. And Keith loves God. I mean, I'm telling you, when, when Keith had the heart attack, some of you don't know, Keith had a heart attack. It was, a, it was like a, whoa, bad heart attack. And, and Patty saw him. She called my number. 
get people praying. Keith's having a heart attack. Then she dials 911. By the time the, the, the ambulance gets there, he ain't having a heart attack anymore. He's like, hey, I'm good. I could just walk. You could just walk. I'll just go sit in the back of your thing. They're like, no, no, no. You're going to ride on the little bed. You know, we're going to roll you in there. And he goes in and they do all the tests and whatnot. And the doctor says, craziest thing. Your heart attack aborted itself. It's like he had a heart attack, what the devil meant for evil. Patty stirs the church to pray. God says, okay, I guess we're just not going to have that. Bam, aborted heart attack. But he tells the story. He said, when that thing hit me, I don't know. I think it was very painful, but it was more than painful. It was just overwhelming to his senses. He couldn't pray. He said, but the one thing I knew is I was ready to go. He said, God, take me or leave me. Do whatever you want, but I am ready to go. Why? Because he loved God, and he knew God's love for him. And then, honestly, I haven't spoken this really but once or twice, but I think he probably got COVID from me. I had COVID in his house, and I'm in the basement. He's like, we're having dinner. I'm like, I know. You know, I'll get Teresa bring me some whatever. He's like, come up here and eat with us. Patty had COVID. I didn't get the COVID, you know. I try to stay as far away from him as best as I can, but he won't have any part of it because his love relationship with Jesus is expressed not screaming and yelling back and forth to me in the basement, but being in his presence. He just, I mean, it was just awesome. Just, But then he got the COVID, right? And he, he didn't shake the COVID so good. And then that Saturday morning, we had the healing room. Um, he was having trouble breathing. Patty on her way here was picked up one of those finger oxygen deals. And uh, instead of coming here, she felt like the Lord told her to go, go back home, and she put it on his finger. Its oxygen is all way, way down, so they drive him to the hospital. And uh, then the COVID became COVID pneumonia in his lungs. And, and then a couple days later, he had a massive stroke, and he can't talk now. And his left side of his body is dead. Um, I think this side carotid artery 100% blocked. This side was way blocked, but now it's got a stent, and it's about 70% good. He could move his arm. So we're Skype, not Skype, uh, Zooming with Keith, you know, and he can't talk, and he's in pretty rough shape. But if you can understand me, Keith, wave your hand. he wave his hand. Patty would just say, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. And God loves you. And she, one, one, the first, I don't know if it was the first time, one time she's reading scripture, she's reading to him out of James chapter 4. It's like, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. I'm thinking to myself, man, I think I might have picked a different verse than that. And she's like, oh, I didn't know I was going to say that. You know, Pastor Pat, read him a verse. <laughs> Keith got really, really bad, really bad, like life support bad. And uh, they asked Patty, what do you want to do? And he had uh, decided, they decided that they, they didn't want to be on life support. If they got that bad, pull the plug. So she said, if he gets that bad, you know, just unplug him. But I wasn't home. I mean, it's not my decision to make, but I'm like, like get home. I'm like, Patty, man, that's for brain dead people. He's not brain dead. I mean, his body's a mess, but he's not brain dead. Maybe, you know, you want to wait. So she called him up and said, don't, don't do anything. And, and his heart was still beating, but his kidneys were failing. 
Um, all of like his white blood cell count was skyrocketing, which told them that the COVID was just, you know, his lungs had COVID pneumonia developed, bacterial pneumonia. And so Patty just put a fleece out. She said, God, if his heart stops, I'm going to tell them to let him go. If his heart doesn't stop, then that'll be the, the sign. There's so much more I'm hoping you're going to hear someday. I'm not telling you because it's her testimony. It's not mine. God spoke to her. And, and honestly, the finest man I have ever known, I, you know, his righteousness is like that compared to God's, but the finest man I have ever known, the guy who is absolutely selfless, and there's probably not a person in this room that hasn't had some experience with that selflessness of Keith. I sent you the text last night. Keith's natural life is in God's hands. He'll decide. He'll either make him better or he'll let him go. He spoke to Patty last night. Patty, um, oh, I hope she tells you. I hope she tells you. You will be so encouraged. There's so many testimonies of God's glory in this thing. It's just beyond belief. She called her son Kyle. and She called um, her daughter Megan and I don't know, probably the brothers, brother and sister and and she said, I think, you know, I think that if God wants him, he can have him. And so she called the doctor and she said, hey, you can, just, you can just turn off the life support. And he went to do it. <laughs> I haven't had this emotion since at all. He went to be with Jesus. It took him about... A hundredth of a second, and he, the doctor said he's with Jesus. And here's what I saw. I've seen the gospel in Keith a million times, and Patty too, but I saw Patty's love for Keith. Keith, sorry, I'm Keith. Out of my best day. Patty's love for Keith exceeded Patty's love for Patty. Patty's need for Keith became less than Patty's love for Keith in a sacrificial manner. And she said, God, take it. If you want him, take it. Because I love Keith and I don't want Keith to have a life that's not in your will. She said, I place Keith in your hands, God. And God said, okay, I'll take him. And he did. I'm telling you, last night at the hospital, I felt like a jerk because I had so much joy, tears, and, and thoughts about, oh, my gosh, I saw Keith. He's got a tube down his mouth. He didn't have to shave his head sideways. Feet were like ice cubes, man. If he gets resurrected, the dude owes me a foot massage. I'm just telling you that right now because <laughs> I about rubbed his toes off last night. But I never had any sadness. I only had joy. I only saw the glory of God. God leaves him here. What a story. Keith Engberg completely restored from all that stuff. God takes him home. What a story. What a story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Keith Engberg might believe in him. And when he dies, he doesn't die. He lives because, because Jesus lives. Keith lives. and Keith knows as he's been known. Do you understand what that means? There's not a cell in your body. There's not a piece of a cell in your body. <laughs> There's not a hair on your head that God doesn't know. There's not a sparrow that drops out of the sky without God knowing it. And Keith knows as he was known. 
right this minute he's the new guy in heaven. They sing the song, da 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 whenever the COVID guy goes home. Let me just tell you about the song they're singing in heaven right now. Keith is with Jesus. And you know why? Because he decided to enter into a love relationship with his maker. And you know why? Because Jesus decided that he would come on behalf of the Father and he would offer himself a sacrifice so that on that day when Keith Engberg stands before the Lord, he would be received. So, I mean, you know, you're going to have all the emotions that you have, but I'm telling you what, when I came here today, I left a house where all I could hear was the screaming voice of a woman who'd lost her husband saying, I love you, God, so much. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that's why. I'm sorry. I never get like this. <laughs> that's why I wanted to do worship after the message. Because I want, I want you you got to wrestle it down yourself. you got to deal with it however you deal with it. But if you deal with it in the scriptures, your only response can be, thank you, God. Praise you, God. Oh, my gosh, what if you didn't send Jesus? Jesus, what if you didn't come? People say, how do people that don't know Jesus deal with this stuff? I'm like, there's no hope if they live. There's no hope if they die. In Jesus, there's hope in both. I want to finish the testimony about that doctor. God, all things. God works all things to good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. God works all things, everything. I mean, there is not anything that you're going through that God's not using. He wastes nothing. So last night, I get the unction to, to just speak life into this doctor, and we start praying over this doctor, and then he's giving me this hug, like, I mean, he's going to squeeze the life out of me. This morning, Patty called the doctor to tell him, hey, listen, you know what? Turn off the life support. It's in God's hands. He'll live or he won't, you know, and, and we'll be happy no matter what. As I'm going through the living room to get ready to come here, Teresa's just finishing up the conversation. She went. She must have taken the phone when Patty was done and was talking to the doctor. She says, okay, God bless, goodbye, whatever she says. She says, Pat, that doctor just told me, I will never forget you people. Please keep praying for me. I mean, so, so what do we go up there for? Some doctor? Of course not. We went up there because we love Keith. We want to see Keith. We want to pray over Keith. How do we even get in there? I don't even know. It's like, there's a grace of God. Nobody gets to be a visitor in the ICU, right? I put their fancy mask on, though. You should have seen me. I couldn't have got a germ out if I tried. But God, he had a whole bunch of other stuff going on. We bought some lady, some... Mountain dews from the machine. She, it's like we gave her a million dollars. But some nurse lady, just like, oh, man, just let us buy these for you. She gets her Mountain Dew. You know what? How about we get you two? She's like, two Mountain Dews? You know, okay. She got two Mountain Dews, and we prayed over the doctor. Because God had us there, not just for us. He had us there for him, which meant he had us there for Keith, for Dr. Mugabe. Yep. And the lady with the Mountain Dews and who knows what else. That nurse, I mean, you know, in that unit, I think there's one nurse for two rooms, something like that. And that nurse was staring at the machine. The whole time we're there, he's, there's a stack of he's staring at the machine. And he's hearing Patty pray and watching Patty kiss Keith all over and seeing the faith and the love of God being passed through her. Because God was working. He's always working. He doesn't waste anything. And now I think now I'm just talking. So... I wanted us to, 
I wanted to tell you that Keith went to be with Jesus. I wanted to tell you that salvation, that the gospel, that all that is to establish a love relationship with somebody who loves you in a manner that you can't even imagine. And that he loved Keith and he decided, I'm taking him home now. When Joe died, you know, those of you who don't know, my son Joe, 30 years old. It took from May 2nd till September sometime to chief medical examiner from he was in Utah at the time, he's a truck driver, said there's no, there's no explanation for your son's death. She said, I'll write on there whatever you want on that death certificate. Well, God had already told me. He took him. He said, I just took him. It was time. I was ready for him to come home. I had so much peace. It was sick, crazy. People told me I didn't have a heart. Only one people. Um, I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Write this. God took him. That's what you put. Cause of death, God took him. He's like, well, I don't know if I could do that. I said, I didn't think you would, but you asked. I don't even know what she put on there. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe she did put God took him. But there's no sadness in my heart. I mean, I miss Joe. And there's no sadness in my heart. I'm, I miss Keith, but I think about Keith, and I can't be sad because God took him. Okay, so I wanted to preach. Then I wanted to worship because we know that God has offered us the opportunity for this love relationship. You love Keith. Is there a better time than after hearing all that than to praise God through songs? I leave you with this, this right here. I'm going to read to you all of Psalm 100, so get comfortable. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your son Jesus. I thank you for the grace to respond to the gospel. I thank you for the salvation that's in no other name but the name Jesus Christ. I thank you that you created, you knit together in his mother's womb, our friend, our brother, Keith Engberg. I thank you, Lord, that the spirit that you placed in him had no trouble finding its way out. I thank you that he was such a glorious reflection of you. I thank you that, that he loved us like you love us. I thank you that he was just buttercup. So, Lord, he's with you. I don't have any prayers for Keith. All those prayers have been answered. I thank God for Phyllis and Richard who probably prayed so hard. I know Patty prayed hard. Hey, just in the middle of my prayer, can I tell you a story? Megan, his daughter, is 34 years old. In 2000 or 2001, Teresa and I go to Freedom Center. You know, somewhere near we get saved. Teresa's on fire. She's a youth leader. And I wasn't. But I would come with her sometimes to the youth meetings. And I was with her this particular Wednesday night. And the kids are all kind of hanging around in their little cafe shop that they got outside their little church room. And Teresa says, Pat, Pat. I look at her she says, come here. She says, Pat, this girl wants us to pray for her dad. She was 15-year-old Megan Egbert, beautiful, blonde-haired girl. And we put hands on her, held her hands, and the three of us prayed for her. I didn't know who the heck her dad was. I never met Keith Engberg. I didn't know anything. And here I am telling you that Buttercup is with the Lord. It started with a prayer with his daughter that her daddy, he was a 
dope smoker and a drinker and I don't know whatever else he was, but he's not, he wasn't anymore because God came and made him like Jesus. And I got a chance to pray with Megan, me and Therese, for her daddy when she was 15. And now here I am telling you about him. Been, gosh, my dearest friend for a number of years. I don't know if he'd say that, but I can. Maybe after Teresa. <laughs> I forgot to take the offering. I'm not going to. So, you know, if you brought money, we got to keep the lights on. The baskets are up here. Before you go home, throw it in there. Father, thanks for that, too. Bless Patty. You've blessed Patty, man. I'm telling you, you have blessed. If the, if the grace of God was ever evident on a human being, it's been on Patty for the last two or three days and just, just so overwhelmingly on Patty this morning. I thank you for that, God. I ask you to put it on Stacy and Corey, on Richard and Phyllis, on Megan and Kyle, Lord, really hard, thick on Kyle, please. All the grandchildren, all of us, Lord, we love Buttercup. I thank you, though. I thank you. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.